Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Threat Talk. I'm your host, Bob Hansman, and today we're going to talk about patching and vulnerabilities and exploits and all that fun stuff. Um, now, patching isn't anything new, um, but because many patches can cause more problems than the problems they're intended to fix, um, there's been some processes in, in line for like large enterprises where they'll do rigorous lab testing and, and they only actually roll out the updates maybe once or twice a year. Um, now, they made exceptions for major security patches, but for the most part, patching was kind of a scheduled thing and, and pretty rare. But today we live in a world where, I mean, we have Patch Tuesdays from Microsoft and, and it's, it's a daily announcement of something else in your environment that probably needs a patch. So, you know, it, some of this is even products we've never even considered before, all of a sudden needing somebody to take a look at it. So we've invited back the SecOps manager for Infoblox, Anthony Kurochi, to talk about how all of this impacts SecOps processes, people, and any plans that they're working on for the future. So thanks for being back on the show, Anthony. All right, thank you. Thanks for, thanks for inviting me back. Well, I wanna start by reviewing the problem, you know, like from the 50,000 foot level. So as I mentioned, I recall when everyone was always upset with Microsoft because all the vulnerabilities at that time, they were, they were all about Internet Explorer. But today it can be any product and it could be not even in a product, but in some library that you're not even sure that maybe your products use. <laughs> so how did we get from one company of badly built products to now all of a sudden all products are badly built? Well, um, yeah, I remember back uh, around the time when um, Mac systems were first kind of infiltrating the business environments. Uh, that year, they were somebody published that there were like 100,000 unique exploits against Internet Explorer and the number against Safari were zero. Um, not that I don't know that it's really that it was it, it's more secure, but it's really there's a return on investment. I mean, if you're going to if you're going to spend it's just as much work. To, to create an exploit that, 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 that can target five systems as five million or, you know, uh, so the, of course the, uh, the bad actors are aware of this and they want to make sure that they have the largest, uh, largest audience for their, for their, um, their work. <laughs> so um, naturally they're going to go for the, the biggest population of systems, which at the time was windows. Uh, that's no longer the case. Now Macintosh is, is, um, I don't know if it's actually surpassed the number of Windows systems, but it's pretty much on par. Um, there's also, of course, Linux and other Unix variants still out there that get exposed to the Internet uh, um, and, and wind up uh, introducing vulnerabilities to the environment, ingress routes and things like that. So, uh, yeah, it's just a different it's a different different in world that we live in, you know, um, and uh, I'm sure we can talk a little bit about, you know, also the difference that COVID brought in where now a lot of these systems are remote. They're no longer inside your firewall. So um, uh, that's another interesting challenge. Well, and in the midst of that, I mean, you mentioned Linux. Um, again, that was the other thing. After Internet Explorer, there were uh, vulnerabilities in Microsoft Windows. And then everybody, was, everybody thought Microsoft was the main victim. The bottom line is, I think you, you hit it right on the nail. The bad guys are going to go after the platforms that allow them to get to the target they want. And at that time, I think, you know, all the bad actors were going, you know, mass mailings. They were going after the consumers. Um, that was the kind of scam. But now they've gotten a lot more targeted to the point that it's not even just those big three, Apple, Microsoft, and Linux. 
But I mean, how long ago was it when we had the stuck next virus come out and it was specifically yeah. targeting a very specific kind of centrifuge um, used by Iranian researchers to uh, um, refine uh, nuclear material. Um, so they're targeting very specific systems. We see this uh, in oil and gas and other industries. It's, it's just gotten real crazy here. And so the vulnerabilities that they're looking at um, can be any application. But I also want to talk a little bit about the fact that, again, applications, when you code, you, you, know, you write the code and then you expect the compiler to, it's going to add some things. I mean, you put in a command that said, generate a random number or open a file or add a record to a file. You may have, you know, those kinds of libraries, but you're not writing the code that actually does that at the lower level. You're depending on a right. library to do that. Um, the biggest example we had just recently was log4j. And, and that's where people, they didn't even know if they used it. Right. It was bundled with a lot of, you know, within a lot of Java apps because it was easier just to kind of leave the stuff in there than figure out what you needed to take out. And um, so, yeah, a lot of applications, a lot of vendors didn't even realize they were distributing Log4j. Um, and they were also deploying it uh, in places. There was no standard installation. Uh, so trying to find out whether you had it or not, you'd have to search everywhere, you know, because you never know where these applications might have stored it. Um, and then to, to be able to tell if you're, uh, if you're exploited versus vulnerable. I know there's been, there's been a lot of, talk about that uh, as a result of Log4j, not that it was a new subject, but you can be vulnerable but not exploited and not exploitable um, because you may have the library in there that's vulnerable, but nobody can get to it. You don't use it and you feel safe. In, in, in my mind, as a security professional, I don't like that at all because just because you think you can't get to it doesn't mean that tomorrow somebody's not going to figure out a way. I mean, nobody... It's like saying my software has absolutely no bugs. Come, come try, try to attack me. Um, and yeah, go ahead and see how that works for you. Um, yeah. So yeah, you know, just, it, I mean, certainly it may buy you some time, but you need to get those vulnerabilities either, either patched or removed from your, from your applications as quickly as possible. Yeah, I think that's important to note is that, you know, it's not a black and white thing. You still have to prioritize, particularly again, I mean, you know, on a single day, you might hear of a hundred or more vulnerabilities and systems that you're responsible for. Some of them are being exploited. Some of them are easily exploitable. Some of them fit that last category. They're not yet exploited and we don't know if they ever will be, <laughs> but mm -hmm. there are a few odd walls. I remember um, a couple, because even security vendors, which, you know, I've worked for for 30 plus years, um, their products get you know, vulnerable. We've had solar winds and other, you know, right. tools that you would think those companies know security. Um, but even those will have these vulnerabilities creep up. But I remember some coming out and they're reporting it in the news and oh my heavens, this is so, so easily exploitable. But when you read the details, it's like, yes, it is easily exploitable if they can get into your facility, get into the data center, insert a USB drive into the server and insert the code manually with admin privileges and run it on the server. I mean, there were so many levels they had to do that it's like, well, if they can get into my server room, I probably have a bigger problem than just a software vulnerability. Right. You do have to be aware of uh, also, though, I mean, I don't know the exact numbers, but a very large percent of the attacks happen from insiders. 
you know, so, oh, I, you, of course, we want to trust our employees or employer, wait, employees, but, um, or employers for that matter. <laughs> I don't know that any is more trustworthy than the other. But um, certainly you need to you need to trust but verify and you need to protect uh, because there's always it just takes one disgruntled employee employee um, or one person who's susceptible to bribes. Or I mean, there's even a place on the dark web now that's advertising for people to come in and actually um, give us your your product, your company's products vulnerabilities and we will give you cryptocurrency. You know, and that's uh, a fairly new thing, apparently. But uh, they're offering, depending on the the vendor, you know, the the product you have and how widespread it is, they are offering more or less coin for um, for getting you know insider information on these vulnerabilities. So you just really got to be careful and 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 you know uh, trust but verify. I guess is the best way to put it. And there's been a number of stories in the press recently about. Uh, employees of companies that receive and process vulnerability reports um, or do research where some of them are submitting them for bounties um, under assumed identities and then also selling them on the black market. Um, so you're, you're definitely right on that whole insider threat. There's been a couple of big issues like uh, on that in the, uh, in the press. Um, it's not all about an employee inserting USB and downloading all of your proprietary data. There's a lot of ways they can mess up your business. But yeah. um, now vulnerabilities have been key to many of the most damaging cyber attacks we've seen over the last few years. I mean, all the easy, dumb things that happened again, you know, when Internet Explorer was out, it had features that were designed to make it very easy or even Outlook, uh, again, relating to a, release, a recent story. In my Outlook email, there was a feature that when I clicked on an email, it would show me a preview of it in a side panel. But when it did that, it actually was executing all the macros in that. And so even without opening an email, just because I had the preview panel, it would actually run the virus. And so features were being exploited originally, and now those have been removed and, and pulled back to the point where they really depend on vulnerabilities. Um, and I saw a report just this morning that said that 11,800 11, vulnerabilities had been reported um, and, and added to just the major databases. I mean, there's lots of them that are just little ticky things that they don't even make it into the big, big database. But like you said earlier, they are, it's just the number of vulnerabilities are, are getting crazy. So on the it's exploitable part, um, you know, that's one thing, but once you decide to do something with it, you also have to realize that there's a potential side effect to patching. I mean, when there's a log4j, I think the first patch for it came out, but they only patched some things and they introduced a new vulnerability when they did it. Um, I mean, how much of a headache is that for you and your SecOps team? It's quite a bit because you do a lot of work identifying systems and then they come out with another another update that says, oh, yeah, we, that, that identification didn't work. Here's another thousand systems you have to look at. And, uh, oh, yeah, that patch we sent out didn't work either. So you got to go back and do the original ones again. So it, it is it is an issue. It's it's it ties into what you were saying before about just the number of, of vulnerabilities that are coming out and the rate that they're, at which they're coming out means that the people that are creating the patches, the companies that are creating the patches, patches are also on a time crunch. They've really got to get these out quickly. 
and as a result, you know, mistakes are made or they're just the coverage is not complete. Um, so um, you really have to be you, you really need to have a kind of an, an automated process, a very good patching process. I don't think uh, it's, it's amazing how many companies are really just kind of winging their patches. You know, like you described, you know, we have patches coming out all the time, but we're just going to patch once a year or twice a year. That's really not acceptable in today's world. It's just not. Um, even monthly is questionable. Um, well, I don't think it's even questionable anymore. It's just bad. Um, but you, you need to be able to have a very well-defined process so that you can, first of all, identify bottlenecks, but also identify areas where you can automate because you really need to automate wherever possible. Um, the biggest issue there is getting approval from owners of systems to patch their system. And that's one of the huge bottlenecks, I think, in any organization is, is, is uh, just, you know, there are reasons for not patching a system. Maybe it needs to be rebooted or maybe there's just concern about collateral damage, that sort of thing. But you really need to um, eliminate that bottleneck as much as possible. And the way some companies are doing it is you just... Once you have that well-defined process, you have an SLA for each one of the sections or steps in it. And Mr. System Owner, um, yeah, you can, we'll apply the patch, you tell us what day, but here's your time window, Monday through Wednesday of this week. So yeah, pick the date, but be aware that if you don't come up with a date, we're just gonna do it within that time frame. And uh, in order to do that, you need to have executive buy-in because typically security organizations aren't, they don't have the, um, authority to force other organizations to uh, to do things like that. So it really needs to have come from the top down. You need to have executive buy-in. But in order to get that, you've got to have that well-established, repeatable process that is, um, that's tested and that uh, is very efficient. And, and you can explain the risks if you don't do that. Well, and then, of course, we have, you know, the threats that are, they're actively being exploited, but it still takes at least a little bit of time. Time is the big enemy mm -hmm. here. Um, what do you do to buy time? I mean, if, if something's coming out, um, when they first announce it, they still don't even know everything about the threat. They have a few key indicators because you'll see those reports come out. Even Log4j, over the period of several weeks, we were still learning new things about what could be done with it, what, what its risk uh, or what risk it exposed people to and more things you had to do. So when an exploit is being, or when a vulnerability is being exploited, that's another big important thing. People say, hey, can you protect me from uh, vulnerabilities? Patching does vulnerabilities. You have other security tools that protect you from exploits. So how do you use those tools to buy you time for the patching that you need, the, the testing, and because you still have to do some due diligence, Oh yeah, right? oh yeah. There's a couple things. There are uh, uh, areas that you can help with. I mean, the technology is getting better where the tools are integrating, where your EDR solution, for example, is integrating with your patching system so that you can you can verify as soon as something's discovered, you can verify if there's a patch available. And all, this integration is helping. But I think the best thing you can do is just get ahead of it. Um, one of the things that I do with my team is I'm always out there looking for... Um, Looking for interesting things, I get several different feeds from, you know, NIST, from SANS, from all sorts of different places uh, about things that are going on, um, just kind of a situational awareness uh, uh, type, of, type of thing where I, every week when we have our meeting, I try to present four, five, ten, however many I find of stories that are out there or things that, I, that came in through these feeds 
that are um, either specifically related to the business that we're in and therefore could be a threat or that are just really unique and bizarre and therefore interesting or that are just really big. You know, we've never seen this many uh, crypto coins being uh, heisted before. There's, that, that comes out every week. Um, but because of that, you know, first of all, it's probably the best part of our weekly meeting because they, they're usually interesting things. And the, 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 the team has actually um, not only commented that they really enjoy that part, but they've actually started sending me uh, things that um, I hadn't seen. So we're, we're slowly developing kind of a culture of this situational awareness, which I think is very important. We've been we've been fortunate enough to actually hear about things like we, we, we've discussed Log4j and SolarWinds and a lot of these uh, um you know, uh, Prince Cooler exploits and things like that. We were aware of them and discussing them a couple of days before suddenly everybody's all, you know, freaked out about them. So we were able to do investigations in our environment to make sure we didn't find any any indicators of compromise or attack and, uh, and make sure that we were at least clean um, um, before we actually started hearing about it from customers or other, other organizations in the business. So I, I think just developing that culture of being aware of it and, and uh, getting in front of things that really are specific to your business helps a, a, a huge amount. Because as I said, um, we've been so far pretty good, pretty lucky uh, in hearing about these things ahead of, ahead of the mass media. Well, and there's some of these services that you can subscribe to, um, I'm sure as well. And I was wondering if you might recommend a few for our listeners that, you know, like your local governments, they normally have a cert organization that, as a business, you can subscribe to, and then they will notify you via email. Heaven forbid that it's actually a vulnerability in email and your email is crashing, but they can, uh, they'll, they'll try and notify you. So you have that. You also have uh, standards organizations. Um, and I know that there are certain vertical industries like the retail industry, uh, depending again, uh, whether you're like in groceries or something, um, there are different industry organizations that sometimes they also will be a provider of that information. Are there any like, hey, here's the top two or three that I think everybody ought to, ought to pay attention to? Um, well, U.S. CERT is a big one, um, but there's other CERT organizations too. Carnegie Mellon's is, a, is another good one. Um, SANS does a weekly, I believe it's weekly, um, uh, uh, vulnerability alert or exploit alert that, that, that's pretty good, although it only generally covers four or five topics. Um, there are other ones. There's a lot of good stuff in, uh, I'm trying to think of actual ones that I get. I mean, I'm constantly getting stuff from dark reading, although that's more, that's more, uh, it's not like real time kind of fast. Uh, you're, you're reading about things that are out there, but, uh, uh may not be really timely. Um, there are, um, several of them out there. I also, I also have several, uh, uh RSS feeds that I, that I, um, subscribe to. Unfortunately, it's, it, there's a lot of chatter on there. There's a lot of, a um, lot of noise, and it's difficult to actually get through it all. But um, because of that, at least I can scan and see if there's something really interesting. I generally go through that and, and try to find things that are being mentioned more than once. Actually, the redundancy is good because that that uh, uh, that shows that this is something that a lot of people are concerned with, and it's good to know why a lot of people are concerned with it. So sometimes having that redundancy is a good indicator that you should really pay attention to it. Um, there are other ones, um, that, that come from various places. I think I mentioned NIST, I mentioned, you mentioned the certs, um, and, uh, SANS and, uh, boy, um, there's quite a few of them out there. If you just look for threat feeds, 
or um, you, you know, digests, threat digests uh, that you can get an email, that sort of thing, um, then uh, there's quite a few of them out there. And then I think you mentioned earlier about a process for sharing them, like your team does whenever they hear about something, they have a way of sharing it amongst the group. Um, because that's the other thing is that a lot of companies, they hear about the alerts, but how they respond each time is almost unique. Yes. Um, and while, yeah, I mean, it's a unique threat and it may be, you know, this one affects, the, you know, a major critical production system. The other one is simply an office system that would be a nuisance. You know, one's a critical, vital, you know, we die if this thing gets here and the other one is just a nuisance issue. But before you get to that point of the decision-making process, there are some things that they should be able to standardize. When you hear about something, how do you share it? I think that's an important thing to remind people of that you mentioned earlier. Um, so if we just back up then, because um, we've gone all over the place, and I'd like to summarize it kind of chronological for, again, the audience here is that, so you have somebody on your team, they've heard about a vulnerability, and they share it. What's your process? What would be the, the flow, assuming that it's something that it's real and you're going to have to do something? What's, what's the flow there? Sure. Um, regardless of where it came from, where we heard it, whether it was something that I'm sharing or they sharing with me, um, we will, first of all, uh, do a, an analysis of whether or not this is really something that affects our business. Is it a vulnerability in a product that we, that we have, our product, uh, a product, a vulnerability in a product like a library that we use? or something that maybe is in our infrastructure. If it's any one of those things, we will generally start an investigation, uh, which is a, essentially the first phase of our incident response um, process, but typically it will not, I mean, usually it's the only phase because we, we are, we, we're, pretty, we're pretty good at, with our tooling and whatnot. So usually when we do these investigations, we fortunately, I guess, don't find anything. Um, but then, you know, it's also worth doing some threat modeling and threat hunting to find the things that you don't actually alert on. But um, that's kind of a different whole other story. Um, but as far as those things, we search for the indicators of compromise. We'll, we'll look at internal and external uh, uh, databases for, for IOCs and things like that. And then if we find systems, we're looking for systems that are vulnerable uh, also that we may not have, that may not have been compromised. Um, so we go through a, a process where we're actually tracking the remediation or mitigation of those vulnerabilities. If we do find some indicator that we have a breach or something like that, that's usually um, going to trigger an actual incident response process. I want, I want to jump in right there, though, real quick, because just before that, you'd mentioned IOCs, and I want to highlight this. That's the step where you learn about the IOCs. And so while you still go to look, do we have a breach? You know, is somebody using the vulnerabilities? You have already put in the IOCs so that your current defenses can do whatever they can. It may not be enough, but, you know, yeah. they can do something to limit your exposure. You know, so you've done that. You got to that pretty quick um, that you can now be doing the rest of this investigation you're describing and not not be as worried as maybe you were before because you at least have, you know, you're blocking the, the websites, your malware hashtags. If that was shared by the, the, the source, you know, Hey, look for these hashtags for the code. You know, you've got those in play um, to at least buy you some time, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's kind of my, my determining factor for the quality of a thread feed, because like I say, there's a lot of them out there and many of them are just kind of informational or kind of layman's type uh, descriptions I want to see actual indicators of compromise. I want to see hash 
uh, hash values. I want to see things that I can actually go look for. And those are the ones that I will generally subscribe to and go back time and time again because um, they're giving me actionable information rather than just, you know, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Yeah, because a lot of the feeds, um, and I'm glad you brought that up. I'd forgotten to, to put that even on my notes to bring up. Um, but there's a lot of feeds that I've seen. They they want to get covered in the press. And so they hype and sensationalize every threat. Um, and they don't cover as many as they used to. So a lot of the feeds have diminished in their value, in my mind, uh, over the years. Um, even the SANS, you mentioned SANS, a great place to hear about. They still have quality. But they focus, like you said, on the top five or six big ones right then. And then a lot of their, their review and the article, they'll have comments by, by uh, you know, some of the long-term uh, SANS uh, analysts mm -hmm. uh, about them or something like that. But, um, you know, and they still have some meat, but it's not an exhaustive list. It's just the top five that are really top of mind. Um, so I've had to start looking in other sources to keep abreast of those little minor things uh, in specific regions, because we think of the world as being global. Some of these attacks are still regional. Um, yes. We talked about that early on, where, again, the, the vulnerabilities that were exploited were the ones where I could hit everybody everywhere. So I used a, a global product that had a globally exploitable vulnerability. But now that they're targeting, they're targeting it not just based on language, but based on uh, your industry. Um, I remember there was a, a, an attack going specifically at, at Brazilian um, banks and financial institutions. Um, so they are getting much more targeted uh, because, frankly, they can make more money if they can get through two or three banks than they can if they compromise a half a million people these days. Um, and I think it's, it's a pat on the back of the security vendors. They've gotten pretty good at responding quickly to these things. And so the mass ones, the ones out to the masses, like my brother-in-law, he checks his email maybe two or three times a week. If they mm. send him a phishing email, by the time he reads it, his antivirus is already <laughs> blocking the, the, the attachment or blocking the URL. Um, these guys have very small windows. And so they are getting much more targeted, which is where you're dealing with things like attacks towards our CFO. And I know we had some... Uh, attacks recently that were they were after specific individuals, right? Right. The, then there's the whole adversary in the middle uh, thing that just kind of came out recently that Microsoft published. Uh, it's kind of the variation of the man in the middle where it bypasses, you know, basically they're stealing. They found out a, it's not even a new technique, but it, they're utilizing it to steal your session cookies and bypass MFA. So um, in that case, I mean, that's typically you would the way that would normally be done is you get access to a system and you pull it out of memory. But with phishing emails, this practically they're giving it away. You know, um, um, once you've logged into your bank, um, you can if you don't actually log out, if you just close your browser and there's an adversary kind of monitoring your system, they've still got your session token so they can continue working in your bank account. Well, after you close your browser and uh, it's, it's not a new concept, but it's just a apparently a a method of doing it that has become very popular recently. So uh, those phishing emails combined with, you know, this man in the middle type uh, um, uh, fake websites that pass through uh, to the real website, though, that whole, that whole uh, method is becoming really popular just recently. And that's a, that's a category of vulnerability that, you know, we, we haven't really talked about, but like even, even your security products can have uh, vulnerabilities that 
it's based on the way it works. I remember it wasn't too long ago when they could install um, the malware and instead of installing it and hiding it in Windows directories and make it look like a DLL or something like that, they knew that certain antivirus products, when they found a virus, they would encapsulate it and put it in a special folder so that it could be analyzed later. So they had a folder that they were storing malware on the end user system. And so, and so their scanner was told, never scan that folder. So the bad guys started saving all their malware in that folder. Yeah. So <laughs> we're always going to find those kinds of silly things. And, um, you know, we are, we are just about out of time. So uh, any last thoughts? Um, no, I would just encourage people to, uh, you know, uh, like I was talking about earlier, kind of develop a culture of situational awareness where your whole team is kind of out there looking for unique things so that you hear about hear about them before they come to you uh, from, from a customer or, or some other organization, your sales team wondering what you're doing about this. Um, and also uh, just tighten up your patching processing, make it as quick and lean and efficient as possible put those SLAs on, on, you know, identify the bottlenecks and put SLAs on those things to make it as quick and efficient as possible and make it muscle memory, you know, just keep, that's why you need that process is so that you're not wasting time thinking about what do I do in this situation? You're going to do the same thing every time with just slight variations. Um, so that, that'll, that'll keep you safer in the long run, uh, about as safe as you can be anyway. Fantastic. And and I really want to thank you. Uh, you've been on several times and we always appreciate the fact that you're able to give us some specific action items for our listeners to go take a look and things that they can do to improve it. So um, thank you for uh, joining us again, Anthony. All right. Thank you for having me. And I want to thank all of our viewers and listeners for their time as well. And join us next time as we continue our efforts to help you stay on top of cybersecurity and ahead of cyber risks on Threat Talk. Threat Talk.